0: June 16th will mark a big change in elected leadership in Ferguson, a city that became ground zero for the protest movement against police killing black people. Ferguson Mayor James Knowles III is leaving office due to term limits and turning over the job to Ella Jones, who will become the city's first black and first female mayor. Knowles joined the latest episode of Politically Speaking to reflect on his consequential time in office and provide some advice for his successor.
1: is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the
0: state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent, Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me today, my very special guest, the outgoing mayor of Ferguson, and the man who once beat Randy Orton in an amateur wrestling match, our guest today is?
1: <laughs> Thank you, Jason. I hope he doesn't want to rematch now.
0: <laughs> That's James Knowles III, and that is pretty much the running gag I've been making against him for, for many years. Mayor Knowles, I think we've known each other since 2007, 2008, but you've been kind of in the, the news mainly after Michael Brown's death in 2014. And we're going to spend a lot of this show talking about the impact of that event on Ferguson, some of the changes that's been made to the town, your thoughts on the protests over George Floyd and other police killings around the country, and advice to your successor, uh, Mayor Ella Jones. But before we get into those topics, since you haven't been on the show before, I want to give you an opportunity to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, why you got involved in municipal politics, and any other Randy Orton-related thing we should know. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I appreciate it, Jason, and thank you for having me on. Uh, you know, lived in Ferguson uh, my entire life. Uh, my family is from North, uh, North St. Louis County. Mom's from Maryland Heights area, and dad's from Florissant. Um, so, you know, after my dad served in the Navy, we have moved back here and set up shop and uh, attended Ferguson-Florissant schools, wrestled for McClure High School, and uh, actually wrestled against Randy in Little League and in, into high school when he uh, wrestled for with Central. Um, and uh, very proud when I see him on TV. It was, uh, really, you know, really exciting and exciting for him and, and for North County to see a North County boy, you know, make good.
0: And it's good. And it's also good. You, he, he never gave you an RKO out of nowhere, too. So that was good. No, no. It no, good. no luckily for me, I, I never got the RKO. Uh, but I also, you know, went to school
1: with and uh, wrestled with Tyron Woodley, another great North County guy. Um, you know, I've known him since he was in middle school. Uh, I had a, you know, the honor of uh, wrestling with him. At mcclure high school and uh you know just a fabulous uh, not just an athlete uh, but also a fabulous uh you know community uh individual and uh you know very glad to see you know his success as well so i went off uh, after high school to truman state studied uh, criminal justice and political science uh came uh out of truman state uh worked a, l- a little bit in the capital for a while before i came back home and uh ran for city council at 25 uh at the time uh was the youngest person uh, serving on the Ferguson City Council, was the youngest person serving on any council in St. Louis. Um, and, you know, I've spent the last 15 years either as a city council member, which I served on for six years, and then nine years uh, as mayor. Um, I also have a master's degree uh, from the University of Missouri-St. Louis in public policy administration, so I'm very proud of that as well. And uh, later on, uh, later in life, I uh, Married uh, a good friend of mine from high school, my wife, Lisa. We have a three and a five-year-old, a five-year-old boy and a three-year-old little girl. And um, they keep me busy on top of everything I do, obviously, in the community. uh, And uh, also, of course, being Ferguson mayor is not a full-time job. I also have to have a full-time job. So that keeps me busy, too.
0: And that was going to be my next thing I wanted to point out, because probably during 2014, 2015, there may have been some misconceptions about how powerful you actually are as mayor the city manager runs the day-to-day operations of the city of Ferguson. That's not to say the mayor can't be influential when it comes to policy. If you have enough council members behind you and they agree with the policy directions, you can actually be very influential. I'm not saying you're a powerless figurehead, but you are not an all-powerful executive as, say, the mayor of Florissant is.
1: That's fair to say. And you know what? People will tell you, I mean, look, I'm 40 years old now. I'm a lot different than I was when I was 25 years old, when I was on first elected to the council, you know, when I was first elected to the council, I was 25, you know, I'd already written, you know, legislation that became state law, you know, as a staff member in the state legislature, I had already been, you know, uh, involved in, in things that, you know, at a really high level. And so, you know, 25, I probably, uh, you know, was a little more full of, you know, kind of the spit and vinegar and, uh, uh, when, is that, when I was a, a young council member, I mean, I was a firebrand. And, you know, sometimes I got my way over the mayor and sometimes I didn't. But um, to your point, I mean, any member of the council who can build a coalition of people who can be influential by making their arguments and making their, their points, you know, can can make a great amount of uh, change or influence. And uh, the mayor is really no different other than you hold the gavel. Sometimes I tell people. Sometimes it's easier to 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 shape the conversation from the seat next to the mayor than being the mayor, because the mayor is supposed to be the one. And what I tr- have continued to try to do, to try to you know reconcile everybody's conversation into you know uh, you know something that is uh, we could move forward together on you know bring everybody together in some sort of consensus. Really, the mayor's job is more of a consensus builder than an an influencer in that regard, because And that's how you have that power, right, is by building that consensus among people and then framing that what that uh, policy is or framing what direction that is by virtue of everybody's input and then
0: moving us forward. You were the mayor on August 9th, 2014, when a Ferguson police officer shot and killed Michael Brown. And I don't think I've ever asked you this question before, but where were you when you found out that Brown had been killed? I was at the farmers market. Actually,
1: I was taking down tents with my father. Uh, the city manager called me, and uh, it was one of those things that you know, on 12:30 or so on a on a Saturday, you know, on an August Saturday. If the city manager's calling me, it's probably nothing good. Um, and the information that he had at the time was very, very, uh, you know, sketchy. He just, you know, it was it was he was getting pieces from the chief, who was getting pieces from people on the scene. Um, there certainly wasn't a lot of uh, information at that time and, you know, we tried to get more information as the time rolled on, but what I, I certainly found out and what seems to be the case ever since is, uh, once I got home and started looking at social media and comments that were being made on news stories, breaking news stories that were coming out, um, you seem to get information faster that way than you do even through your own chain of command. I mean, because... You know, it's kind of like the fog of war in that regard, you know, that the information's not flowing through the bureaucracy that fast, especially when it's happening real time on the ground. And people are tweeting it. People are posting on Facebook. People are, you know, messaging on, on at the time people, you know, spend a lot of time messaging different um, or leaving comments rather on different news, you know, articles. And throughout that day, that's where I that's where both the city manager and I both found out a lot of our information.
0: A lot of the focus after Brown was killed was whether Darren Wilson was going to get indicted or not. But then another focus was on Ferguson, the town. And there were a lot of national and international commentators who felt Ferguson was exploitative toward African-Americans and thought that the government had been broken for a while. I I want to ask you, do you think that those characterizations were fair? And do you think that there were things that Ferguson did as a city government before Michael Brown's death that should have been done differently to maybe avoid that focus that you saw?
1: So... Uh, Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, anybody who looks at the events of 2014 and and really takes an introspective look, any community, any police department, you know, should look at what they were doing. And and I think everybody can identify, you know, things they should have been doing differently and doing better. Certainly in Ferguson, I know, um, you know, we really took a look at after the events of uh, August 2014, we started to take a look at our courts and some of our police practices. Um, In September of 2014, we actually did away with uh, a number of uh, fines and fees that uh, were typically collected, not just by us, but by every community in the in the, uh, the state, and uh, did away with things like failure to appear warrants and failure to appear charges. Uh, a lot of those things that we did right after uh, August 2014 uh, were later copied by the uh, Senate Bill 5 um, reforms that were uh, passed by the state legislature. And so, yeah, I mean, there's certain things that um, I think when we looked at it, we probably realized that there was a more detrimental effect to these you know fines that we were charging as opposed to um you know some sort of a uh uh you know positive police uh, effort to try to get people to stop obviously breaking the law which is why those fines and fees are in place and so when we realized that it was becoming counterproductive when we realized that failure to appears weren't getting people to show up to court uh, they were just, you know, adding up and creating a situation where people you know, never showed up to court. You know, it was it was one of those things we decided that it was smart for us to take the lead on that and, and uh, look at that issue and get rid of it. But it's unfortunate that, you know, those are things that have been going on for a very long time throughout the state. And it's something that um, I think a lot of people didn't realize the unintended consequences of doing those things. Um, certainly there was uh, a public policy reason to do so that was – based on trying to gain compliance with the law you know um, but in the end all it did was you know create kind of this circular effect for a number of people and and it became a problem in, uh, uh both for municipalities uh, to try to deal with you know this you know just growing number of warrants and, and traffic violations um, and it also of course became a problem for the people who were uh, you know having to deal with those in their lives so and also, also, if you look at what we did uh, post two thousand and fourteen really took a, an opportunity not just to um, focus on community policing, which you know in many ways we had been doing for years, but focus how we do it and look at um, you know having the police department showing up to our community events and engaging our community events is great, but it only is great for those people who show up at those events and you know there are a lot of people in the community, especially a lot of the ones we 've heard from since two thousand and fourteen who still didn't feel connected to the police, right? They didn't they didn't show up at the farmers market and hang out with cops. And so they didn't feel you know that sense of community outreach. They didn't show up at neighborhood association meetings where our police officers for decades have been showing up at every meeting and being involved and engaged with people. But if you didn't show up to those meetings, you didn't feel that connection. And so how do we take those officers and go, you know, one, two, three steps further and connect them with people in the community, especially the ones we heard in 2014, who really felt just disconnected, who felt that they didn't have a relationship with the police, that maybe the police looked at them with either a cautious eye or a suspicious eye. So we really reoriented and relooked at how we did a lot of that. and um, I think we've made a tremendous, um, we've made tremendous progress really, in those areas. But you know, it's a moving target and it's an evolving situation, I think, for all of us in America. And I think it's something that everybody in America, every city in St. Louis, needs to look at. Every uh, city in America needs to look at, especially under you know our current situation.
0: I'm actually gonna play a clip now from your soon-to-be successor, Ella Jones, where she was talking about how she's seen a notable improvement in the police department since Michael Brown's death.
2: Ferguson Police Department has gotten better and they are working diligently to work with the community. Um, They're at a lot of community events. They are working with the uh, stakeholders. They're doing their best. And we've got to find a way to keep them supported because if we don't support our police department, they are always going to be in a position where people think that they can do what they want out in Ferguson.
0: So it's interesting because soon to be Mayor Jones was interviewed on All Things Considered uh, a couple days ago when she was asked about the whole question of, quote unquote, defunding the police. And she said, no, she doesn't think that's the right way to go. Um, What do you make of her comments? And do you do you echo the fact that you've seen some of those improvements, too, since Michael Brown's death?
1: So I think when you when you talk about uh, when, when Mr. Jones talks about some of the things that uh, are different, it goes it goes back to, uh, you know, police being in communities, again, that were disaffected, you know, um, certainly, like I said, you know, you go back to 2012, you know, 2005 when I got elected uh, to the council the first time. I mean, the police were at everything everywhere, but you go over to Canfield, right? You go over to Oakmont townhomes, you go to North Winds States you know, there were not community events there. There were not uh, active groups, you know, and stakeholders that were there forming, working with neighbors, uh, connecting with law enforcement, and, and providing those opportunities for those individuals to come and connect with law enforcement. And that's really where you see the main difference. What you see now is, and it's not just law enforcement, and I think this is where, you know, community groups that talk about defunding the police, um, it's unfortunate that they use the term defund police, because what you really need is you really need to have resources to allow police to be able to do these these sorts of things. We need to have resources that allows police um, and other community organizations and groups to be able to have these sorts of, of interactions. Um, you know, Taking away resources, and I think this is what Mrs., Ms. Jones is probably getting at, uh, You know, taking away resources is going to take away from our ability to do more training, which is what we've done in Ferguson, what you need. Um, I think she's acutely aware of what's going on you know, within our department, and how it's expensive. You know, those changes that we've talked about are expensive. But those change, but those are, those funds aren't also just—they're not also just for police, right? They're they're for community groups. Uh, Urban Strategies is one group that had been operating over there in Canfield, has put together round tables of of people, has trained leaders, has put together uh, community events, has put together community dialogues so that our police can also participate in too. That's been key because before there wasn't something like that for the police to participate in Um, and not just participate in, but really take an active role in. We see more of that in those communities, uh, in the apartment complexes, in those areas. And um, I think that's where we're we're really seeing that uh, um, progress, but it takes money and it takes resources. And so the idea of taking away money though, from police and then giving it, to those groups. I mean, you're, you're going to affect training. You're going to affect salaries. You're going to affect the people, you know, the quality of people that you can recruit for the job and then turn around and give it to groups that um, uh, maybe do some great things, but you're going to hurt one side. You're, I mean, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. Right. It really is just a matter of creating additional resources for all of it. Um, it's a long-term strategy too. People don't realize, you know, these are, these are important talks to have, but, um, and someday you hope that this will be mean, you know, being able to defund law enforcement in the sense that, you know, if you're spending more money on, on education, if you're spending more money on, you know, um, helping the community, uh, build itself up, but you won't have to have, you know, 400 cops on the street. You know, you could have 300, right. Mm-hmm. If you had less crime, you would have less prisons, and then obviously you could redirect money. I think those are all part of those conversations, but, you know, just to snatch it away, and then assume that crime is going to stop or anything else is just,
0: uh, I think, unrealistic. You became a a national figure after Michael Brown's death. You were on uh, CNN. You were on Sunday morning talk shows, and I have to imagine it was disorienting because many municipal officials in St. Louis County do not aspire to become widely known national figures. What was it like getting all that attention and notoriety, and how did you kind of deal with the intense local and national criticism that was coming your way because Ferguson became such a big story.
1: Well, yeah, I'm I'm not one of those uh, elected officials who uh, saw this was another rung on the ladder to you know being uh, governor or president or something like that. So, yeah, it certainly wasn't something I expected, nor did I want. Um, I've really always been interested in focusing on serving and the uh, you know just the technical aspect of really having good government and and being responsive and the politics side of things um, were more appealing when I was younger, but they really, they're not as appealing anymore. And and unfortunately when you're thrust into the national spotlight, it becomes all about politics. It all becomes about, uh, you know, the national narrative, no matter what you say, no matter what's happening locally, unfortunately, you know, it's all uh, somehow, you know, you know, seen through this national lens and people living in New York and their experiences and their understandings or misunderstandings of what's happening on the ground here, um, you know, turns into uh, a lot of criticism, like you said, uh, or uh, certainly everybody Sunday morning or Monday morning quarterbacking you. Um, and so that was, uh, it was tough to deal with, um, you know, both because the social media created so many problem or, you know, so many that did create problems too, but created so much criticism and you were able to see it and feel it uh, as often as, you know, as I did. Uh, but it also was uh, an interesting support network because uh, people that I knew, and then a lot of people I didn't know, uh, especially people who, um, you know, maybe didn't agree with whatever, you know, Don Lemon was saying about me. Right. <laughs> you know, maybe if I turn on CNN, I probably would not like what, what people were saying, but at the same time, the immense number of people that reached out um, either by social media or by mail. I mean, gifts I got at city hall. Now granted, I mean, I got tons and tons and tons of like vicious hate mail and, you know, death threats and everything else. But, you know, people who sent, and I still have, you know, little angel statuettes and, and, you know, beautiful cards and things like that, who were very supportive of the community or me personally and my family. Um, I created a lot of, you know, a lot of relationships and friendships that uh, were forged during that time. So it was, uh, it was interesting. It helped me weather that criticism uh, quite a bit, and, and recognize that there are there's certainly lots of opinions out there, and uh, whatever you see in the media is oftentimes not necessarily the, um, you know, the majority opinion in the nation. Uh, and and I think that's just Uh, the unfortunate reality of today right i mean everybody feels like if you feel like you can't speak out because you're going to be demonized i mean and i you know i I guess i'm just one of those those uh uh, examples if you can't speak out if you can't speak your mind if you can't have an open dialogue without being just pilloried crucified you know everybody else is just going to keep quiet Mm -hmm. and you know then they're going to go to the polls and elect whoever they want and you know that's telling too
0: I know that early on, you you had made comments about the racial divide in Ferguson, which I think that you said several months later that you shouldn't have said. Was that probably the biggest thing that you wish you would have done differently? Or do you, is there other things that you would have done differently with hindsight? Uh, you know, there's so many
1: things that um, I don't know that you could have done any better. Uh, and that's the unfortunate reality of, of just the world we live in, in a hyper-polarized society, when you have people who... Uh, you know, you're either with me or against me. You know, it, you can you can't kind of agree with me. You have to totally agree with me, or you're the you know you're the enemy. And that's where it seemed to be you know during those times. Um, I always try to take a much more nuanced approach, um, listening to both sides. Uh, and I think I've I've told many people this. I'm sure I've said to you in the past. You know, the toughest part about being in the middle of the road on these issues or trying to be fair on these issues is that. You know, you're taking it from both sides. You know, and I, I used to tell people, I said the hardest part about being in the middle of the road is you're dodging, you're dodging cars coming in both directions, and and that's really where it was because I mean there were times where Republicans and pro-police people were, you know, at me about you know, you know you you should be you know there's a blue line and you're way over it, Mayor, and it's like, look, I mean you've got to be, you've got to have an open mind here and open your heart and let's consider all perspectives and people's thoughts and feelings the same thing with the protesters no matter how many times i sit down and meet with people walk the streets and talk to them you know there was a lot of inroads that were made but there were people out there who were just you know hateful and they you know if you weren't if you weren't going to do exactly what they wanted when they wanted how they wanted you know you were just the enemy i mean and when you're operating in a situation like that it's really hard to chart a a path forward that doesn't entail some criticism.
0: So Ferguson has been under a consent decree for more than four years. How do you think it's changed the town? And what do you think the impact on St. Louis has been that Ferguson has been the only city in St. Louis County that's had the federal pressure to change, whereas a whole bunch of other cities with histories of problematic police-African-American relationships didn't have that same type of pressure?
1: Well, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why we still have problems today. I mean, you know, I said this back in 2014, I said it when uh, Governor Nixon named the, the Ferguson commission, the Ferguson commission, um, you know, didn't, you know, mention anything to me, didn't consult me. I was at Floreson Valley Community College when it was announced and, uh, and I said, uh, they, they asked me what are my thoughts? And the first thing I said is nothing's going to get done because you're calling this the Ferguson commission. And they asked me, well, I don't understand. I said, well, it's really easy because it's going to be considered to be all about Ferguson. And people are going to assume that it's all about Ferguson. The conversation's going to be about Ferguson. It's not about the problems statewide or countywide or regionwide or nationwide. Um, it's not going to talk about systemic problems. You know, we're six square mile town of 22,000 people. If you think that the, the unrest in the nation's caused by you know, 50 cops in 2014, I mean, you absolutely have no clue what's going on in, in the nation. But it was an easy scapegoat for elected officials Who didn't want to talk about themselves to lump that on the city of Ferguson, and that's what happened not just statewide but nationwide. Um, You know, today, you know, again, you know, almost five years later, what do we what do we continue to hear? I continue to get emails from people saying, Mayor, why haven't you implemented the entirety of the Ferguson Commission report? Well, they obviously didn't read it, right? Because if they read it, they would know it's not about Ferguson solely or specifically. But that, you know, I get emails, you know, weekly about that still, five years later. We still have public officials talking about that still. We have national pundits who are so smart, you know, people on CNN, so smart, still saying things like that. Why? I mean, it seems to me completely, you've completely lost the opportunity for change. Now, we've spent millions of dollars in federal government dollars to focus on 22,000 people in the police department at the time of, you know, 50 to 55 depending on where we were at with hiring, you know, now we're at, you know, under 40 Um, we've spent millions and millions of dollars on legal fees, on training, on uh, monitor costs for, again, this small group of officers yet, you know, we still have officers running people down in town, you know, nearby, you know, we still have, you know, uh, incidents happening in the city of St. Louis where they have, over a thousand officers, or at one point did. Um, we had, you know, months of protests with, you know, the Stockley case. Um, you know, yet no focus or no attention on what we could do better or do differently. You know, either from the federal, state, or even local perspectives in those cases. Um, I mean, if people want to, you know, look at why nothing's changing. I mean, where is your focus and your direction? I mean, Ferguson has done a tremendous amount, and yet there's still, and and Ms. Jones has said it. um, I think it's quantifiable. Last Thursday was our, I don't think anybody from the media was on it, but if you would have been on the Zoom call with the judge, the judge uh, just recently said, you know, how much we've gotten done in the past year. In fact, it's been agreed by the monitor and all parties that in the last year in Ferguson, we've gotten more done than we've gotten in years, and mostly all the years prior. Um, you know I credit our interim city manager mr bloom for for a lot of that, and a lot of people have credited him. We have done a tremendous amount, yet there are still people who will say we 've done nothing and and they they believe it in their head we 've done nothing um, and and i just I think that you know continuing to squabble and argue over those things or 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 giving um, giving all of this burden onto you know one consent decree one community is why largely you don't see the change that people are clamoring for i will ask you just you probably are more attuned to it than i've been paying attention but i mean look how many lawsuits uh, arch city defenders and others have been uh, uh filing across st louis over the last five years and how many communities have paid out millions many of them paid out many more lawsuits than ferguson and a lot more money than Ferguson. They didn't have the federal government come knock on their doors, but somebody did file a lawsuit. They did look at their practices and they did have to pay out a considerable amount of money and make some changes. Again, why when they knew when the federal government, by the way, came here and, and, and looked at Ferguson, they knew and acknowledged that what they saw was widespread. Mm -hmm. They they had no intention of doing anything about it because the incident happened. I mean, this is from the words of Christy Lopez, who was the lead investigator. The incident happened in Ferguson. That's where the focus is. And to me, it's completely. If you do an investigation and you're and you're out there interviewing people from all over the St. Louis region about the problems, you know that there's these problems. And they even came out afterwards and mentioned how that there needed to be wider spread conversation, but did nothing about it. I mean. You've got to ask what, what uh, complicity the federal government at that time had in not doing anything about what they knew to be problems, you know, system-wide through St. Louis. I mean, I give our, I give our legislature some credit for, for making some, uh, some changes and taking on some of these issues. But still, you know, the federal government and the city of Ferguson, this has been the focus. I think it's given a lot, of, a lot of other communities the opportunity to get off the hook uh, about having these conversations. Um, I will say this, and my, my fellow mayors that I've uh, talked to, especially in recent weeks, um, I think that there's a lot of people who are taking a much more uh, introspective look now um, after the George Floyd unrest uh, than there was certainly interest in 2014.
0: Well, it's interesting you mentioned our city defenders because we had them on the show maybe last year. And I brought up the same point that you did, that by only going after Ferguson and by when I say going after Ferguson, I mean only having the federal government file a consent decree against Ferguson and providing none of the same pressure on the surrounding towns. And I'm not just talking about North County towns. I know that those get I'm talking about wealthy, predominantly white cities that may not have like a high percentage of fine revenue, but have potentially like documented histories of racial profiling. If you don't file lawsuits against them and don't force them to change, it doesn't really provide much help to make a black person feel safer driving through St. Louis. While not defending Ferguson, the Arch City Defenders people we talked to basically agreed with that. And I'm sure that you've heard the same thing. You won't say it or speculate, but I mean, it it comes down to, Um, it, it
1: specifically comes down to, and I, and I'll always believe this, everybody talked about, you know, the politics of Ferguson and especially the fact that you had, you know, a sitting member of the Republican central committee, you know, being mayor of Ferguson, you know, at the same time, are you going to, I mean, look at the communities that you're talking about without naming any of them. I mean, who runs them? I mean, certainly not Republicans. Uh, at least lot, largely, um, do you see? I mean, would you have really seen the Obama administration going after the city of St. Louis or the county government or any of the municipalities surrounding us? I mean, no. I mean, if if you can make you know this you know African this African American town who's run by a white Republican mayor the sole bad guy, why would you talk about any of the other people who are complicit? you're not. I mean, you have, and especially in a midterm, you know, midterm election year, just, you know, a couple months away from the midterm elections. I mean, that is, you'll never convince me otherwise that that is why they did nothing to anyone else. And it's unfortunate because when the federal government came to Ferguson, we didn't stonewall them. We didn't stiff arm them. We didn't lawyer up. We didn't, we didn't, go to court and force them to subpoena records. I mean, we gave them the key to the city and said, you can have anything and everything you want. You can talk to everybody you want. We're not going to have lawyers sitting with our, our staff while you interview them because we didn't feel like we had anything to hide. And I firmly believed and said then, and I believe it now, if there's anything that we need to look at, do differently, that there's an issue in my city, I want to know about it. And as that progressed, there are things we learned. And those things, like I mentioned, we did make changes right away. We didn't wait for a federal consent decree. I started uh, recommending changes. We started making changes in our city government within weeks of Michael Brown being killed. And not to placate people, but frankly, because the conversations that were being had with people on the street, with people in our community, made us stop and really think, what do we need to do differently? And, you know, there's things that we, uh, we were able to do right away. One of the things I proposed was a, a police commission uh, made up of citizens. That was something that we tried to do right away. But then I, we kind of, you know, pumped the brakes a little bit. And uh, the reason why we didn't go forward with it for another couple months was because we realized after conversations in the community that this shouldn't be rushed. It needs to be a community-led conversation about civilian oversight. And I appointed a task force of citizens, which included a lot of the activist community. And we did that. And we have a civilian oversight board. You know, Really, one of, the, one of the few in the region, St. Louis City has one, um, but one of the, the only ones of municipalities in the region, real civilian oversight of our, of our police department. You know, so we did all of that literally a year and a half before the federal government and us came to an agreement on, on, uh, on a consent decree. Um, But you didn't see that level of, uh, you know, you didn't see that level of
0: um, activity from a lot of other places. We'll be right back after this quick break with Ferguson Mayor James Knowles III. And we're back with Ferguson Mayor James Knowles III on Politically Speaking. I want to talk about the George Floyd protests because I think Ferguson is getting a lot more attention now because... What happened to George Floyd in Minneapolis or Brianna Taylor in Louisville? It's bringing back things to Ferguson and Michael Brown because that's kind of where this protest movement gained a lot of momentum. What's kind of your perception of the protests that have been going on, and what advice, if any, would you have to a city like Minneapolis or Louisville that are going to be going through a very similar reconciliation process that Ferguson went through?
1: Well, I mean Ferguson's reconciliation process is obviously going to be different. We're a small community you know, uh, largely, uh, you know, the community has, uh, you know, kind of a tight-knit core and and has for a long time, Um, you know, trying to expand that core group of people, you know, active and engaged in our community was really a large part of what we tried to do because we wanted to make sure that, you know, the entirety of our community felt engaged. Um, Now you, you know, extrapolate that to a community the size of, you know, you know atlanta or louisville or nashville or wherever you you know would have these issues you're going to you know to be able to have those conversations on a on a on that scale is going to be very difficult you're really going to have to look to you know uh breaking those those cities down into neighborhoods and communities and have you know really core group of both politicians and leaders uh and then police officials in those you know smaller groups you know uh, get together and engage because uh, I think as we see just anytime you have a national conversation, you know, trying to have a conversation at, at 50,000 foot, you know, level is just impossible. People are talking over each other and past each other and um, grandstanding and everything else. Um, but if you really want to have a courageous conversation, if you really want to have a dialogue, if you really want to have a discussion that leads to uh, change and not just change in your, in your government, uh, but you need to change the hearts and minds of people. Um, people oftentimes, you know, talk about ending racism in police departments as if it's a policy that we have to fix. You know, a lot of times it's the mindset you have to fix in people, um, and people that work for you. And, you know, as humans, we all have, uh, things in our, in our head and our heart and our psyche that we've got to be cognizant of and deal with. And I think that that's, um, you know, part of what's going to have to happen, you know, through these discussions, it does happen in small groups, you know? So I, I think if you're going to uh, have those kind of, you know, waking moments for, for people, uh, it's going to be um, in those neighborhoods. It's going to be in those communities. It's going to be with community organizations and community groups and community leaders and and officers engaging in that. Um, And that's really how you're going to, to, to do it. It's going to be, have to be bottom up. You know, this can't be, this isn't, this isn't an edict from the mayor, right? This isn't a, a, a proclamation from the governor that I've fixed it. It is a, um, it is creating an opportunity uh, at that grassroots level to to affect that change.
0: Well, let's talk for the last few minutes about your successor. Uh, Ella Jones ran against you in 2017. She lost. Was it 58-42 percentage-wise? It was pretty yeah, something around that. Something around that. Um, but she won a narrow victory over fellow Councilwoman Heather Robinette. I was there when Councilwoman Robinette came to the Ella Jones victory party, and they they embraced, uh, they're promising to work together. It was a really nice moment to see, especially since I was there on Sunday and saw a lot different scene. I want to play a clip now from Mayor Jones, and I'm going to use it as a jumping off point for a couple more questions
2: the leadership of Ferguson needs to sit down and talk to the DLJ and talk to the monitor. You know, we are under a consent decree and we have been working for constitutional uh, police and community police. And so we can't take matters in our own hands, but we need to go and find some solutions and have them involved in finding some of the solutions because we just cannot sit around And when people feel like there's an injustice in the United States, let's run to Ferguson and tear it up. We've got to put some other measures in place to keep this city protected.
0: So that's part of her priorities for being mayor. She also is going to have to deal with a very difficult financial situation, which I I think she was already dealing with as a council person. What sort of advice would you have for her as she begins this three-year stint as mayor?
1: You know, I tell tell everybody who's involved in local government, uh, you know, first and foremost, we have to recognize the role of local, you know, the primary role of local government and, and no matter how many conversations we've had over the last five years about, uh, race, or race relations, or, you know, being a national in the national spotlight or part of the national narrative on, you know, community building and community police relations and, um, and reforms, um, uh, at the end of the day, when you still go to a neighborhood association meeting, the first question they ask about is when is our streets going to get paved? You know, if if not, what are you going to do about the gunshots in my neighborhood? But, you know, something along those lines. It's not how is the consent decree? I'm worried about, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z provision of the consent decree. Usually the question is, is the consent decree stopping me from getting my street paved? Is the consent decree stopping you from stopping these people who are shooting in my neighborhood? You know, why is it that these people who live across the street from me whose house is falling down and they're selling, you know, drugs out the back door, you guys can't do anything about this? Is it because of the consent decree? And these are the questions you get social media, emails, neighborhood association meetings from people of all races, especially the African-American community, who is disproportionately affected by these things. Uh, Those are the questions you get, you know, daily. And, you know, because all those things take Money, uh, and and we certainly do, uh, especially because of the COVID, uh, the COVID shutdown. Uh, we, just like everybody else, has a you know a significant has had a significant impact on our budget. Um, we're going to have to you know focus on how we can you know maintain those those kind of base city services, um, you know especially to the level that people want. Obviously, because of the city of Ferguson situation, because we have a consent decree, we do know that there's a significant amount of expenses related to that. And we also know that there's a significant amount of effort that we've been putting into uh, those other things I mentioned, you know, again, related to the consent decree and our outreach efforts. And so, um, you know, the budget for this year has been set. Uh, We are hoping, uh, you know, we do have significant cuts, which are gonna be very difficult and very painful. Uh, for, the, uh, for the city staff and for the community. We are hoping, uh, and this will be my plug to uh, Sam Page, our county executive, you know, I was also the president of the St. Louis Municipal League uh, this past year. Um, first uh, Ferguson president in over 40 years, so I'm proud of that. But uh, we fought and uh, did get the county to allocate $47 million towards reimbursing COVID-related public safety expenses to the uh, city to the cities. Uh, and so we are hoping that those allocations uh, will turn into disbursements sooner than later, because those are going to have a significant impact on how we go forward financially, uh, not just us, but all the communities in St. Louis region.
0: You kind of mentioned this yourself. You are a Republican that lives in a predominantly Democratic area. So your ability to like run for state rep or county council is probably not a viable political option for you because you would lose. Um, there had been talk about maybe you running countywide, but I think the county is now very democratic. I don't think there's a path there. Is there any career in politics beyond being mayor for you? Or are you just gonna kinda go into the private sector? You mentioned before that you have a master's in public administration. Would you wanna be like city manager somewhere? Or is is this pretty much the it for your public service career after Tuesday?
1: You know, I don't think it'll be the the end of my public service career. I mean I've um uh, I will certainly continue to find ways to serve, you know, both in my community, which, you know, I was very active long before I was uh, elected to office and I'll stay uh, active in the community. But, um, you know, there are several boards and commissions, uh, you know, I've had conversations with um, the county executive and some others about uh, uh, appointments that they were interested in. Uh, So, I mean, I will be, uh, I'm sure I will find ways to serve on, you know, various, uh, you know, appointed levels, I'm sure going forward. Um, and in the city of Ferguson as well. I mean, I've I've already got my application in to sit on a board uh, in Ferguson. Um, you know, we do have a difficult time, just like everybody, finding volunteers for a lot of those. And so, um, I certainly uh, am willing to help there. You know, I love I love my community. I've lived here all my life. I don't. Uh, you know, I'm not one of those uh, one of those people, like I said, who are looking to just to climb the political ladder. I mean, I'm always looking if there's a if there's an opportunity that arises that you know, fits, you know, my situation, my family, you know, I'd I'd be considering it, but you know, I'm not out uh, looking at houses in Republican districts or anything like that. I mean uh, my family's here, my home is here and I'm very proud uh, to be a Ferguson resident. So
0: you're, you're not going to move next to Tim green in St. Charles basically right now. (laughs) You know, I'm sure he'd be a great neighbor. He's a great
1: guy, but I, I mean, that's not my plan at the moment, you know, Right now, you know, my family having two little ones, you know, who, uh, you know, our listeners probably don't realize because I'm sure you've edited out the number of interruptions we've had. but <laughs> at,
0: least, at least six. But, but the magic of editing has, has definitely made it seem that, that way. But, but Mayor Knowles, thank you so much for joining joining us and, and for talking with us at, at, at length. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. I don't think you're on Twitter or anything but is there any like keeps me out of some trouble yeah is there any like website or cause that you want to plug a cause well because well you did see my
1: daughter earlier so my daughter in december was diagnosed with leukemia she's three years old uh so i will definitely plug the cause of st louis children's hospital who i've spent an immense amount of time with over the last six months and uh and uh you know leukemia lymphoma society friends of kids with cancer there's a number of causes which by the way uh, is also something I've been uh, beginning to get involved with more and uh, will probably be a lot of what I'll be doing obviously going forward too, besides taking care of my my kiddos. But giving back to those who have uh, helped us is certainly going to be a big part of my life.
0: Well, thank you. And thank you so much for, for highlighting those extremely worthy causes. Um, and until next time, so long.
2: We're driving through the evergreens The darkest hours Hold the brightest dreams With the touch of your hand As we glide in the rain This is the closest you've come Cause it's the farthest I've been